Welcome to Living Beyond the Book, the show where we help writers move beyond fear, overwhelm, and unhealthy habits into a consistent and productive creative lifestyle. Your host, Emma Boone, is an author, publisher, mom, yoga enthusiast, and recovering blocked writer. She's here to help you unlock your creative potential. Now let's talk Living Beyond the Book. Hello and welcome. I am excited to have you here tonight to talk about our final episode of Messy Mapping. As I've mentioned in the past few episodes, I want to spend December helping you get yourself ready so you can hit the ground running in January. I know a lot of us set New Year's resolutions at goals for January, but if we wait until January to get started, then we're already a month behind and it's harder to get into that and harder to set new habits and harder to reach those goals. So I think if you take a little bit of time in December to do the fun stuff and get yourself ready for the for the goals in January, then you'll be in a lot better place. So um, messy mapping is my version of just getting a loose and messy, um, not an outline, but kind of a, a roadmap for where you want to go with your writing. And I think it's crucial for a lot of reasons that we've covered in the previous episodes, but it helps with motivation. It helps you keep the flow. It helps you know where you're going so you don't get stuck. It helps with a lot of things. But today we're talking about characters. And I think characters are so important to know at this stage because they really set the tone for your book or your story. They, are, We've all read books where the plot's great and it's fun, but if we don't connect with the characters, then it's not something that we remember or not something that we sink into. It's really about connecting with the characters that makes a great story. And so as a recap, we've talked about knowing your premise, knowing your conflict, and knowing your guideposts. If you missed any of those episodes, you may want to go back. But if you're interested in talking about characters, then let's get started. Um, As I've I've kind of already said, characters are the heart of a good story. Um, They are who your readers identify with and who they cheer for. You can have the best plot in the world, but if readers don't care about the characters, then they won't be emotionally engaged in the story or the outcome. Uh, if we're not emotionally engaged in the story, then we may not finish it or it doesn't leave a lasting impression. Most of us have read hundreds of books in our lives, and the ones that we remember are the ones with stories that we really, uh, with characters that we really identify with. Falling in love with the characters is what makes a book last in our memories and become one of our favorites. So nailing the characters is really the most essential piece in writing a story. But it's also essential to know a bit up front so you can give your characters depth and purpose and make them meaningful. As I was thinking about this podcast today, I had dinner with my family and I asked, I have three kids and my husband and I asked all of them who their favorite characters of all time were and why. And uh, it was interesting to hear what they had to say. Um, several of them are are little. And so, um, but, the, but the things that came up were the characters that are funny or they were a good friend or um, they were unique. One of them, one of my 10-year-old's favorite characters has a pet raccoon and she loved that that was something unique. A lot of them were because they identified with the character, what what situation they were in. And so those are just some of the things that we look for in characters when we kind of latch on to good ones. So obviously we know characters are important, but what makes a good one? In the book, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, he says, if three questions can be answered within the first 15 to 20 minutes, the story has already descended into noise and will almost certainly fail. 
Those three questions are one, what does the hero want? Two, who or what is opposing the hero getting what she wants? And three, what will the hero's life look like if she does or does not get what she wants? I love these three questions because they're succinct and to the point and they can be used for literally any genre. And they start your book off in the right place from the beginning because you don't get bogged down in a plot that has zero goals or conflict, which is what happens with a lot of new writers when they don't know what the motivation is for your characters. So look, let's look at those questions with a couple of, of characters that we know well. First, Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. What does she want? Well, she wants to protect her sister from competing in The Hunger Games. She wants to support her family. At different points, she wants different smaller things, but those are the main things that motivate her throughout the entire series. Even when her fight becomes about the community or all of the districts rebelling, it's all based on her wanting to create a society where her family can be safe and have their basic needs met. So two, who or what is opposing her getting what she wants? Basically everything, right? Um, There's the Capitol. There's the other kids in the battle. There's President Snow. There's a lot of obstacles to her goal. And that's where the great conflict comes in that makes us readers hooked to the page. And it's what makes us root for Katniss because we know what she wants. We know what her motivations and goals are. And then when we see things coming in her way, that makes us identify with her or cheer for her or feel sad for her or emotionally connect to her because of those obstacles. The third question, what will the hero's life look like if she does or does not get what she wants? She would have to live without her sister, who she loves. She'd have to watch her community starve. She'd have to keep living in an oppressive society where the resources are taken for only a few of the people. There's a lot of things that would happen if she failed. And if she succeeds at her goals, she has hope. She doesn't have anything concrete, right? But she has hope that she can help make it better. And that's that's ultimately what helps her to fight the battles in the second and third books is she wants something bigger. She wants something better in the long run. So can you see how those three questions really create the framework for who Katniss is as a character? We get to see her as selfless and strong and resilient and willing to put her own life at risk to defend others and to do what she feels is right. We aren't told that. We're not told at the beginning Katniss is a selfish, selfless person. We see that in her actions and based on the situations that she's put in. Um, we can see how a cool plot works better because when we know what motivates the character, we know how they will react in each situation. And I I like Katniss as an example too, because she has the original goal to save her sister, right? To protect her sister from having to fight in the Hunger Games because she knows she won't survive. But then with Rue and Peta and other people along the way, we see her continually make the right decision. She she makes the humane decision. She chooses to give people the benefit of the doubt rather than than winning. She puts people first regularly. So in those situations, we see the kind of person she is over and over and over again. And that's how we get to know her. And that's why we fall in love with her. The next example is from a movie, but there's a reason I want to talk about him. For those who haven't seen John Wick, it's a series of thriller movies with Keanu Reeves. And he's a retired assassin. 
at the very beginning of the first movie, he's burying his wife. I don't remember what happens. I think she was sick or something. But right before she died, she arranged to have a package sent to John after her death. So it showed up right after her funeral, and it was a puppy, a cute little puppy, so that he wouldn't be alone. And this puppy becomes really important to him because it's his last connection to his wife that he loved. And before too long, he has run in with some thugs who want um, his car, and he tells them basically to get lost. So they break into his house. They beat the crap out of John Wick. They steal his car, and and they kill the dog. I remember Brandon Sanderson, as an author, said, if you want to know who the bad guy is, have them kill a puppy. So literally, that's the first thing they did is kill the puppy. And we are sad because we know what it means to John Wick. We automatically know who the bad guys are so even john wick has a history of being an assassin which we don't generally think is morally right or um something we identify with but we recognize that he's the good guy because he's the one that loved the dog and his wife and those were things that were taken away from him so then we can look at the first then we can look at the three questions what does he want so i wanted to talk about john wick because i think it's excellent storytelling because he has two conflicting desires. The first one is he wants to be out of the business of being an assassin. He just wanted to settle down and love his wife and not be in the business of killing people anymore. But he also gets a second motive right away in the beginning of the story. He wants revenge on the men who killed the dog his wife gave him. So in order to meet this, the one goal, he has to compromise the other. And this kind of conflict is really cool because it creates great character building. We see what type of person is willing to sacrifice one desire to achieve another. And if he had decided that he wanted to stay retired and and turn the other cheek, then that would have been a totally different story. But what he chooses is revenge, right? He wants to be a good guy, but also he refuses to let the bad guys win. So he becomes a really interesting, morally complicated character. And from the beginning, we're rooting for him because even though he's fairly ruthless, we know he wanted to leave that lifestyle behind. Um, Like I said, we know he loved his wife. We know he loved the dog. And we're still on his side no matter where the vengeance takes him. Then we can look deeper with the other two questions into who's opposing him and what his life would look like if he failed in his quest for vengeance. But we won't go into that. You see where I'm going with these two examples. So these three questions are awesome and you should write them down. They make it so clear what your character values and how the story will bring that out to readers. And if you know that from the beginning, then it it drives your story and your characters in ways that really have resonance with readers. Again, for for your own characters, they're one, what does the hero want? Two, who or what is opposing the hero getting what they want? And three, what will the hero's life look like if he or she does or does not get what she wants? So in addition to knowing the answers to those three questions, one of the things I would challenge you to try, which I feel like makes a big difference in my own writing, is getting to know characters characters organically. I feel like we spend so much time worrying about hair color and eye color and other parts of the character's appearance, but those don't matter really to the story at all. Unless it's something like Harry Potter's scar that's part of his backstory, the appearance shouldn't be the most important thing. Yeah, that's fun. It's fun to make a heroine with red hair and green eyes, but it doesn't matter to the story. 
So in the beginning, jot something down or do a one-page write-up about their appearance or leave notes in the margins as you write to come back and fill in the details, but don't get bogged down in the details. I know a lot of people like to write character bibles and they spend so much time on characters' appearance and backstory that they never get actually into the, the meat of the story. You want to nail down the motivation and then and the personality, but everything else will fall into place. And even a lot of the personality will fall into place if you know the motivation. I put together some fun ways, I think, um, to create the personality of your character. So these are just different things you can try. Uh, one, base them off of zodiac signs or horoscopes. So determine a birthday for your character and then find what traits apply or reverse it and pick out one main character trait and see what vo- zodiac it fits with and flesh that out. Um, and fill in the rest of the details based on characteristics for their Zodiac. Um, Use a role-playing book. I know that sounds weird, and I'm not super into role-playing games. I actually don't think I've ever played one. But some of those deep-diving role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons spend a lot of time developing details about characters. I own one. I can't remember what it's called. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's fun to ask the questions and make up personalities based on the exercises that they give. And if there's anyone who's really good at character building, it's people who play role-playing games. Um, They really immerse themselves into into the different personalities. The third one is think of an interesting flaw. It's easy to make really nice and heroic characters, but if you come up with an interesting flaw, you can develop a likable character around that and um, make some interesting connections and contrasts with your characters. A fourth one is base your characters on people from history. I know a lot of people do this, but um, but there's a lot of cool, obscure characters that you don't hear about often. Like there were World War II fighter jet pilots who were women. I didn't know that until recently. So finding that band of brothers that's made out of women would be a really cool girl power story or taking somebody obscure or somebody not even obscure and and giving them a personality and bringing them to life is a fun way to develop somebody based on characteristics that are already there. Another one is base them on people you know personally. I think a lot of us do this in um we'll base it on people we like, but it's also fun to base them on people we don't like or people that are just kind of neutral and find out more about what makes them tick. So just people that you know that are kind of interesting or they have interesting quirks or flaws, that's a really fun way to jumpstart your writing. A similar one, but a little bit different, is base characters on celebrities or mythological creatures or archetypes. There's tons of these out there. One example that Darby Karchit recently mentioned. Um, She's an author with several books that I love. She says she builds her characters based on the traditional archetypes and then gives them a seemingly conflicting archetype for secondary characteristics. So each one is a blend of more than one characteristic. I think that's genius. You have um, maybe the warrior archetype and one other archetype and you kind of mush them together and take several traits from both of those and you come up with something really unique. Another one, I, I don't know a lot about tarot cards, but I know People, there's authors who do some fun things where they pull two or three tarot cards and combine the meanings or symbols to create a unique character. So there's a lot of ways to do it. There's tons of books and blog posts and articles about creating great characters, but however you develop them, my one piece of advice is know the basics, but then treat the character like someone you've just met and you're going on a road trip with. Um, When you're stuck in a car for someone with a long time, you get to know them really well. Um, For example, I went on a road trip with somebody who 
argued about everything and ate smelly fish. So um, they were a very distinct character. And it was interesting to see how other people reacted with that. And I didn't know any of these people really well, but, um, but I got to know their personalities as they interacted with that. So if you if you go on a road trip with strangers, you get to know them organically. So their backstory and traits are interwoven with what's going on. You'll learn different things as you stop for gas and as one of you snores or listens to weird music. As their quirks come out and you're in a confined space, you get to know a lot about a person. Second, they react to the setting. They don't know you yet, so their true character comes out gradually, not in one giant info dump. They're not going to tell you a lot of times as writers, it's tempting to just dump a lot of backstory, but that's not how it comes out when you meet someone in real life. You get little pieces here and there as as they react to the situation and the setting. The third thing is about the road trip example is each person will come into the car as a fully formed person. So they have a backstory, they have likes and dislikes and strengths and weaknesses, but the way those things are revealed don't feel forced like in some books. They're revealed as you get to know each other. So I like the example of um, putting your characters in a road trip because that forces you to get to know them organically and just see pieces of their personality as they're relevant, not dumping everything when you want to get it off your chest, but as you need it. And that makes it feel like a more natural process. So however you decide to go about getting your character traits, just make sure that getting to know them feels natural and that they're real people, at least to you anyway. So don't make them feel like a caricature or a strict archetype by focusing too much on physical features or over explaining them or info dumping or those other things we've mentioned. Know their motivations before you get started and then get to know them as you go. Slowly unveiling your characters like, you know, like Shrek and his onion layers makes for the best type of connections and interactions with readers. Um, I think they're a lot of fun. One book that I feel like everyone should read is called The Emotional Craft of Fiction. How to Write the Story Beneath the Surface by Donald Moss. And he really delves into creating depth in characters and a better, better emotional experience for the reader. So I read the book all the way through and marked it up and put tabs and, and highlighted things. I loved it and found it super helpful and useful. But now I use it as kind of a reference book. So when I'm using, when I'm editing my stories, I use it as an editing tool. So I'll write my stories and motivations and characters the best that I can. And then I'll go through some of my favorite questions by Donald Moss and use them to dig deeper into the character. So it's a brilliant book that I highly recommend. Another example, I did Pitch Wars several years ago. I had a mentor and she is actually an author coach and is very, very brilliant. And I hope to have her uh, on the podcast eventually. But one of the things that she did what that really helped me was I had written a story, obviously. I had written a, a full novel to get into Pitch Wars. But then she really dug in and made me fixate on what the character wanted and why and all of the underlying layers that sometimes we don't get to. And I, all of that didn't make it into the story, but taking the time to sit down and think it through, I don't know, like think of it as an iceberg. When it's under the surface, it it isn't taking away from what you see in the story. It's only adding to it. What's below the surface is what keeps the story stable. So we don't know everything about the character. We don't know their entire hierarchy and family tree and everything that led to them. We don't know their entire backstory. 
I should say, we don't reveal all of that to the readers, but what we do know below the surface is what makes the visible part of the story that they can see more interesting and more well-developed and more intricate. As you get to know your characters through the story and through the setting, and as conflict hits them, then they become more real to you and more real to the readers. I want you to take a second and think of the characters you've fallen in love with over the years. How many books have you read in life? Probably hundreds or thousands. And how many characters did you really connect with and remember intimately, even to this day? Probably only a handful, right? So of all those books that we even enjoyed, how many of the characters can we talk about like they were a person that we really knew them and loved them. The, of those that you can, what made them come alive to you? Their voice, their backstory, the way they handled certain situations. There are tons of characters we like, but it's very special when we come across a character that we connect with. Um, real characters come to life because they have pieces that resonate with us as a reader. Um, and, and just like every part of your story, you won't impact everyone. But when your character cares deeply about something They'll find their readers. They'll resonate with readers who care about the same things too. Um, one of the books I recently read that I really loved was Letters to the Lost by Bridget Kemmerer. I related to the character because she had recently lost her mother and I had recently lost my mother and she was processing grief in a certain way. And so that really helped me. It connected with me an emotional level. So I don't know that that character impacts everyone that way. And I don't know that she would have impacted me that way if I had read her at a different time in my life, but that's a character I'll always remember. One of my favorite characters in fiction is Snape because he's the bad guy, kind of, but we always sense there's a little more to the story. We know he loved Harry's mother. He felt um, like he lost out to her so he was kind of he was mean to harry but he was also loyal to him and to his mother's memory so he becomes a complicated interesting character instead of just the villain of the story we could we could go on and on talking about great characters and what makes them but really sit down i i would love for you to sit down and write down you know three or four characters that you really really loved over the course of your reading and what is it about them that you connected with? Why did you love them? And try to pull some of that into your own story. Um, obviously, you're not going to give them the exact same storyline, but you're going to pull out the traits that you loved and play with those in your own writing. I feel like organic drafting and layering details in as you go uh, as well as polishing your characters in the editing stage is a much better way to go than strictly outlining a character and making it feel like a caricature or someone with too much makeup. We don't want to see the model. We want to see the, the person beneath the surface. And that's easier to do when you're having them react to the story. And we talked about guideposts last time. And if, if we know where the story needs to go and we have an idea of what our character's motivations are, then when those things clash, then that's what brings out really great storytelling.
when we talked about conflict, we talked a little bit about how there's all these motivational quotes in, in real life about, you know, we're all just a piece of coal and the pressure is what makes us into diamonds or, um, you know, these cheesy motivational sayings that we become better because of the experiences that we have in life. And it's the same for our characters, that when we put them in these situations, that's where the goodness comes out. If Katniss had been, um, you know, shooting arrows in the forest for the whole book, that would have been great. And I'm sure Suzanne Collins would have made it interesting, but putting her in situations where she had to react differently and react on her toes and put her own desire to be with her family in conflict with being humane to somebody else. We got to see how she made those decisions and how it brought out the kind of person that she was. And that's who we fell in love with. We loved to identify with her situation and see what we would have done in that same scenario or what we would have hoped we would have done in that scenario. And, and we get to visualize ourselves as the hero, somebody who reacts in certain ways. So I, like I said, write down your favorite characters. And then as you're drafting your own character, Answer the three questions, Donald Miller's three questions about the character's motivation, and then watch your character evolve and grow as they come alive through your conflicts and they follow your story's guideposts. I think that you'll surprise yourself and you'll have a lot of fun with it. Um, so can create great characters by moving forward and feeling the story. Don't get stuck in the stage of trying to over-design and overthink them and then never move forward with your actual story. So those, those are the four steps of messy mapping. Know your premise, know your conflicts, know your guideposts, know your characters. With those four things, you have a blueprint to create a unique and wonderful short story or book. Um, and hopefully that makes you feel like you're ready to get started. I hope this mini series on messy mapping was helpful. I hope you're ready to take off running when January starts or use this process whenever you're ready to get started on a new book. It will make all the difference. So next week, we'll talk about how to hit the ground running in January and make goals that you'll actually keep to have a healthier, happier, and more productive writing life. Uh, I wish you happy holidays. I wish you a Merry Christmas this week for those of you who celebrate. And here's to hoping for warm and wonderful uh, 2021, much better than 2020, right? And that it will be a year full of excellent storytelling in what you read and what you write. Thanks for joining me. I always am glad to have you here. I'm grateful for you listening and taking time out of your day. And I will talk to you again soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Living Beyond the Book. Make sure to visit our website, livingbeyondthebook.com, where you can find show notes and connect with us outside the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll automatically get new shows every week. And we'd also really love it if you left a review. Now go write those stories and don't forget to take care of yourself beyond the book. <laughs>